Welcome back to the Horseman's Corner. We're on the last segment of today's program. I'm Howard Hale, host of the show. Co-host is Marty Martin and our guest, Ann Swinker, of our guest, Dr. Ann Swinker, Penn State University. Let's continue with her. The equine industry does have a pretty good impact then in the state of Pennsylvania. Um, We did a survey here at Penn State, and this was conducted like back in May of 03, and um, the total economic impact of the industry was estimated um, to be in the billions, like like $8 billion. You're kidding. Well, we've got... I mean, that sounds like a lot to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, in that study, it said there was 215,000 horses. Then a few years later, after some of these other things happened, um, our population's gone up to like 268,000 when you look at the American Horse Council's mm. information. But um, it's, you know, it's it's the racehorse industry is really quite substantial um, here in Pennsylvania, you know, we do have our general horse population, our show horses and riding horses and trail horses. But um, and it's funny, the racehorse industry is only like 11 percent of our industry, but they have the majority of the the money, you know, invested in their operations as compared to the backyard or trail horse owner or show horse owner. Oh, yeah, those uh, trotters and, and pacers uh, can be a big deal, and there's a lot of money involved in those, isn't there? Um, there is. Um, horse value-wise, like like the thoroughbred racehorses are worth a, a little bit more, um, but we have some really outstanding standard-bred you know, trotters and pacers that are bred here in Pennsylvania. Uh, like I mentioned, some of the top breeders in the, the world are located in this state. That's interesting, isn't it, Marty? That's very interesting. Mm-hmm. I I don't think of those breeds very often in terms of where their what their standing is, you know, because we're out here in the West and we think in terms of of uh, the quarter horse. That makes sense. I mean, those horses, I'm sure, do well there. Mm-hmm. We we have a um, there's a large standard bred sale that's in Harrisburg at our farm show complex and. You know, it's nothing for some of those colts to, you know, to average, you know, like $50,000. There's some that will sell for an awful lot, but, um, you know, that's a pretty good, pretty good sale. And it depends on the economy, and it goes up and down with the economy. But they, you know, they sell, the that's the major sale probably in the world right now for standard breads. That's Howard, it. maybe we're raising the wrong breed of horses. Well, maybe uh, maybe we are. Who knows? But that wouldn't be the first time that I did something wrong. That's a very different world, the racehorse oh, yeah, industry, sure. com- compared to our show horse industry. Well, what else do you have going on with the extension? Uh, you're you're on the adult side of it. Uh, what the this animal ID is kind of interesting. Uh, the USDA is that's not an option anymore, is it? Well, we did some work for the USDA APHIS um, on this NAIS, or National Animal Identification. We surveyed, um, we did seven different surveys 
like a just a general owner survey. We surveyed veterinarians, show, horse show managers from across the United States, and this wasn't just in Pennsylvania. These surveys were, you know, across the U.S. Looking at opinion and people's, edu- you know, like how knowledgeable they are on the subject. And and the frightening thing is that the majority of horse owners don't understand it or or what it is. And veterinarians on a survey that we conducted with them really would like to learn more about it. Like 50% of those folks felt they needed some more in-service training on it. And horse show managers, with the majority of them would like to know more about it. But a lot of them thought it would be a really good um, tool for them to quickly to be able to identify, like, you know, not that horse people are dishonest, but to kind of reduce fraud, you know, make the show run easier. And we're seeing a lot of this animal identification with livestock and cattle with the mad cow situation in other countries. And they're using this electronic identification devices to quickly identify where the animal originated from and if you were a horse show manager and you could have a scanner at your entry gate and it automatically told you which horse it was what its registration number was and you know could fit in the database just think how efficient you could be at finishing up all your reports back to the association oh yeah it sure would and i know there are some of the people in the west that are uh, because they say we already brand these animals we have anim- identification they don't like it forced on them but I don't think we're going to have any choice. It's going to, if we're going to have livestock, we're going to have to identify them and, and like it or not, I think we're going to have to do it. That's that's the way it looks like it's shaken out. And I guess my concern is, um, like, like you want to have the best technology, the safest to the horse. Part of this project, we um, put the microchips in the horses and we were measuring like inflammation with different markers and we were also using radiographs, like digital radiographs, to measure if there's any migration of the microchip. And uh, to date, we, we're not seeing any issues related to the microchips that are out on the market that the USDA has developed. But one issue we are seeing, if the horse is really bad when you put the microchip in, you will get it like like a bruising or inflammation at that site if you know if you could keep the horse real quiet or tranquilize it when you put it in then there's no issue and we're doing some inflammation work on that and we should have that later this season to present at the ESS meetings on that but um i think the key thing is whoever's putting those microchips in you know, you have to have a clean, disinfected area, and you want to keep that horse calm. So when it's and, and it it to put the microchip in the horse, you use like it's almost just like a hypodermic needle, but it's a dry needle. It doesn't have like a liquid in it. Um, the microchip is pushed through the needle with a syringe and you know, placed in the nuclear ligament in the middle of the horse's neck up under the, like, up towards the mane. But it, it's kind of interesting, the horses that are real bad, that jumped around when you put it in, they got a little bit of, a, you know, redness and inflammation, kind of like they would if you gave them a vaccination and they were bad. Mm-hmm. 
What are those microchips? Early are they quite small? I mean, um, they're can... about the size of a grain of rice. Oh my golly! And they they come down out of you know out of a needle like with a syringe with a needle. Um, There's several companies that um, Digital Angel um, is one of the companies, um, Allflex. There's several companies that are getting USDA approval to um, be used. But um, basically, the technology is the same. But the key thing, I think, if you order a microchip or have your veterinarian put one in, if you're going to be doing any exporting of your horses or competing out of the country, you really want to make sure that you get the ones with the country, the three country digits. That's interesting. Now, it probably that's that's not going to be an issue for me, but I don't know. That's one of those deals. I'd sure want a vet to, or somebody that's better with a needle than I am, to put that microchip in. It's not that difficult to do, but a lot of folks, um, it's not that invasive, but any time you do something in, invasive, you should have a veterinarian there to help do that. Um, if you can vaccinate a horse, you could do that, but you should be working with your veterinarian to have that done. The The other part about it, some of the breeds have made it mandatory. Um, like the quarter horses, they have a place on the registration of the horse to put like the the code. It kind of looks like the barcode you use at the grocery store that they tape that onto the horse's registration for permanent ID. And like miniature horses are making it mandatory. Lusitanas and Illusions, it's a mandatory microchip. Um, the interesting thing is any horses going to Canada next year are going to have to have a microchip. And this is, uh, gosh, it's it's interesting talking to you again. Unfortunately, we've run out of time for this section of the Horseman's Corner, so we're going to have to come back, and there's a lot more that uh, I know that Marty would like to cover and I'd like to cover with you. But, gosh, it's good to talk to you again. You did an outstanding job out here at CSU. Matter of fact, Marty, you may not know this, but Ann Swinker's one of the reasons we're doing the uh, Horseman's Corner because I went over and talked to Ann uh, Oh, gosh, Ann, that's been, how long have you been in Pennsylvania now? We've been here for almost eight years. <laughs> okay, so it was before that, and, and I went over and uh, to CSU, visited with Ann, and said, is there a need for a program that uh, will get information to uh, horse owners, particularly some of the first-time horse owners? And she said yes, so by gosh, uh, Ann, that's, that's why I'm talking to you now. That's why we did it. Glad to hear how successful you've been with this over the years. I don't know how successful, but we're still here anyway. But we're going to have to cut it off for today. But Ann Swinker, our guest, she's with the Extension at Penn State University, works with the adult Extension there. And gosh, good to talk to her after low these many years, and good to know that she's doing well in Pennsylvania. And Marty, always good to have you as the co-host of the program. That does it for today's edition of the Horseman's Corner. I'm Howard Hale, host of the show. I'll say goodbye, and may God bless. See you next week, same time, same place.